So my process for fat loss is very similar to my process for business and goal achievement. Decide vision action. So it's number one, making a decision. What do you want? Two, vision. If people skip this step, then willpower doesn't work. And I get people laser clear on like to the detail. What are they going to be wearing when they release the weight? What are they going to look like? How are they going to feel? Who's going to notice? How are they going to notice? What's their face going to look like? How is their body going to feel? Like I, I spend so much time in vision first because I want them acting from the vision. And then when we get into action, this is really critical. Most diet nutrition plans will talk about all the things you can't have. I don't do that. I have a very clear outline of what I want people eating. But what I tell them to do is I don't want you to worry about what you can't have. What I want you to do is focus on how do I get all this good stuff in? How do I get all the good in? Which makes less room for the not so good. So if I get all this good stuff in and I still want the Doritos, you can have them, but you're not gonna want them. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. I have a few regrets in my life. Not big ones. Things, well, maybe I've got some big ones. That might be a whole other episode. But like stuff that, in hindsight, I maybe could have thought about a little bit differently. Ideas that I had placed on a pedestal and really fundamentally believed to be true that ultimately held me back. One of these things that I had in the back of my mind, because I'd heard so many people talk about their 40s as the glory years of their life, the time they felt most confident in their lives. And I've spoken about this before. I I literally held back. I held back stepping into my authority. I held back almost like I was waiting for these features of myself to burst out of me when I turned 40. It was like I didn't want to let them out of the box because it would increase the fanfare for when I hit the big 4-0. And when I turned 40, the day kind of came and went. And the week after I had that birthday, I started to tap into these things that I had been leaving in the box. I started to feel confident. I like I felt confident, but like I like unleashed it. I gave myself permission to do things that I thought only a confident 40-year-old would do. And I lived that for 4 to 6 weeks. I felt amazing, and then what I realized was that those things were actually in me all along. That what I actually did was hold myself back because I had this idea that these things really could only flow and emanate once I hit a certain age. Now, this isn't about age at all. This is about things we do. There's only certain things you can do when you get married. There's only certain things you can do when you're like a seven-figure entrepreneur. We do this thing where we have like rules that we place upon ourselves. But I'm fascinated in particular about the rules we place upon ourselves as it pertains to ageism. I was fascinated as a kid watching my friends' parents and sometimes my own parents step in and do things because that's just what you do at that age. And I became fascinated in particular around this idea when I turned 40, realizing that I had placed limitations and expectations on an age and I made the decision not to let that happen again. In fact, I made the decision that I kind of needed to make up for lost time. 
And so when I had the opportunity to meet my guest today, Natalie Jill, I was so excited to learn that she was 50 years old. Now, I say that because when I encountered Natalie for the first time, I leaned over to someone. I'm like, who is this like hyper fit, energetic woman who just walked into the room? And I share the story in the podcast today. I'm like, oh, that's like, that's Natalie Jill. Like, how do you not know her? And one of the things I need like Natalie and everyone to know is like, I, I treated like TV hosts and movie stars and politicians and they come in my office and I'd be like, hi, who are, what do you do for a living? Like, I, I have my head in the ground a little bit. So no one can ever be offended that I have no idea who they are. Uh, Cause that's one of, that's one of the things that makes me charming. And I was so excited. I was so excited to meet at Natalie and hear about her story. And then she was talking about something to do with her age. And she's like, oh, well, I'm 50. And I was like, no, come again. Like for real. She's like, no, no, I'm like 50 years old doing handstands at the gym and like bench pressing four times my weight and like doing cool things, cool things that I hadn't put in the box at that age. In fact, as I spend more time with remarkable women, I realize more and more how irrelevant age really is. And my conversation with Natalie today as an accomplished entrepreneur, as an accomplished spokesperson for fitness and healthy lifestyles, as someone who has worked with over a quarter of a million women around the world tap into a state of health and confidence that they never thought possible. As I hang out and have the opportunity to connect with women like Natalie and other women in my mastermind groups and women who are breaking down barriers, I realize that the common feature of all of them is that they had dropped what Natalie calls their fat, falsely assumed truths. And that's really what we unpack in today's episode. How do we construct these truths to start with? And what is the process to systematically dismantle them? Dismantle them so that we can step into our own state of truth and potential and vision right now so that we can step beyond our circumstances so we can leave behind the limitation of assumptions that we have created or have been handed to us by those around us. This is a super powerful interview for entrepreneurs, for women, and for visionaries alike. I'm super excited to introduce you to the one and only Natalie Jill. Natalie Jill, welcome to Impact. Thanks for having me. I had the chance to meet you last year and had been following along on your journey and so many things struck me about uh, you, but most importantly, it was this energy and this sort of vivacious, like leaning into uh, into life. And then you were having this conversation with someone in passing. You're like, oh, you know, I'm like 50 years old. And I, like, I'm sure I interjected rudely. And I was like, <sighs> come again. <laughs> um, and and you shared with me a little bit more about uh, about your story, and uh, I'd love for you to share that with my audience because I mean you're you're helping women on so many different levels with their health, with their mindset, with their business. But you know, when I looked at your description of of what you're doing, you're like, I help women sort of redefine themselves, redefine what it means to age, redefine like how we are supposed to be as we age, and you you embody that in such a miraculous way. And you're probably like, that's how we should be, Megan. Um, but it was just so refreshing. I loved every second of it. 
So with that, with that introduction and with that context, can you share with everyone a little bit about your story? Why do you care so much about this in such a good way? It's funny, whenever someone says, can you share your story? I think, which story? Because I feel like my life has been a series of stories and redefining. And I honestly think one of the things that creates depression and stuckness, if that's a word, or boredom in life or comparison problems is this idea that we have to somehow stay the same, honestly. Like we might be in one role or defined as one role. And as soon as life takes a turn and we're not in that role anymore, we get start questioning like what's wrong. Take age, for example, because you started with that. I am 50 years old. And it's so interesting being 50 and seeing what the world wants us to believe at 50. This whole comparison to 30-year-olds or that we're washed up at 50 and that aging is kind of something that needs to sort of go away. I mean, and somebody listening might say, well, I don't experience that, but I'm telling you most of the world does. (laughs) You see that on media. You see that many places. So it's up to us to constantly be redefining what things have to mean. So I believe as things happen to us in our lives, they're truly happening for us. And we have an opportunity to to really look and redefine and decide what we want to create from that. So when you ask about my story, I'll, I'll take you back, um, my gosh, 15 years. So 15 years ago, I was in corporate America. I would have defined myself as somebody who was a sales director in corporate America. I was married to my first husband at the time. Um, I had a baby on the way. I had the two dogs. I had the white picket fence house. I had this life that I thought I wanted, meaning I went to college, check, you know, got married, check, got pregnant, check, like all the things were checking off the list, but it never felt like um, a real authentic life, meaning I, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know who I was. I felt like I was just doing things for other people. And I had this defining moment because this was back in 2007, 2008. And for those of you listening that were in the States at that time, we were in a massive economic problem. Um, We were the financial collapse. Uh, Real estate was down. Financial market was collapsing. A lot of things happening. And I found myself in this defining moment of one, I was getting a divorce. Two, I just had a baby and I was grossly overweight. It wasn't just from it was not just from um, being pregnant. I am five foot two. I gained sixty pounds of McDonald's French fries and hot fudge sundays. <laughs> that's that's what happened. I was losing everything, including my house. I knew I couldn't be in my corporate job anymore because it required full time travel, and I was a new mom. And I was faced with, for the first time in my life, like this huge tornado of stuff not working and questioning who I am. And that was my first opportunity to to really look at the idea of redefining, of getting to basically be the author of your own life, about being able to recreate. And I had this defining moment. It was just 15 years ago now, but it gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago now. But I was walking and I remember I was walking the stroller with my two dogs and I'm behind sunglasses crying, just depressed. And I remember walking and I caught a glimpse of one of those windows that has like the mirror reflection. And I and I just sort of stopped and I took my sunglasses off and I looked in that window and I just remember not recognizing what I saw. And I, I looked in this window and I thought, Natalie, is this like really where we end up? Like, is this really all there is? At the time I was 35, 36 years old. And I remember thinking like, is this 
what happens? Like you get married, you get a divorce, you gain weight, you get depressed, you just kind of wash up. Um, is this all there is? And I, and I just remember having this moment with myself, like connecting with myself going, this is not all there is. There's so much that I'm meant for that. I want to be a better mom to my daughter. I want to make a difference in the world. There's so much more. And it was in that moment that I made a new decision. And it's the thing that I start everybody off when they want to change is what are you deciding? But I made a new decision that this was not who I was going to be anymore, that I was going to be something else. And it literally started there with a decision. And what was the next step? Yeah. The next step was I had to start asking myself, what do I actually want to create? You see, so many times, Megan, we stay stuck in circumstances you know, I'm overweight, I'm broke, I'm getting a divorce, I'm a new mom, I can't do this, I can't do that. We're really stuck in circumstances. And I had to ask myself, okay, what's the possibility though? What could I create? What would I want to create? So I went home and I made what's called, I call it a decision board. Some people know it as a vision board, but I call it a decision board. I started pulling out pictures of things that resonated that made me happy. Like I put fit girls on there. I was far from fit at the time. Put happy mom and daughter. I put somebody with a happy husband. I put a ocean view for a home. I just put anything that made me happy. And what I noticed doing that was I started to evoke feelings of being that person that lived in that board. And when we're stuck in circumstance, we don't know any other way. Like we're just stuck in circumstance. It's like you Mm -hmm. look in the mirror and you don't like yourself. And those of you listening that might say, I don't do this to myself, you do if you're like scrolling social media every day first thing. Like when you scroll social media first thing in the morning, you're in circumstance. Because what runs through your head is, oh, why don't I look like that? How come I'm not on that trip? Why don't I have that successful business? Why didn't I do my webinar that way? Why did I not? Whatever. Why doesn't my husband look like that? Like whatever. We're circumstance. What I did that day was I reprogrammed myself into... What do I actually want? And I had to stop my brain from telling me what it is that I don't want, you know, so or what I couldn't have. So it's like, for example, oh, I want to be super fit, like one of these girls. I had to stop my brain from going, but you're overweight right now, but you don't have the time, but you don't have the money. My brain, my brain wanted to tell me all the reasons why, you know? Right. And I had to say, but what if? So, but what if? And even today, 15 years later, it's still a practice. Like the first thing I do in the morning is I want to grab my phone and scroll social media. It's like a human tendency. Like we, we want to like check and make sure we're still who everyone thinks we are and we, everything's still happening in the way we think in the world. But I have really trained myself to envision first step, what is my day going to look like today? And what do I want it to look like today? And I write it on my, I have a note on my phone every day. First thing I do, I write what's going to happen on with my day, how it's going to be, how I'm going to feel. I set the whole intention for the day. I really like that. And, you know, this notion of circumstance is so interesting. As you said it, I, without thinking, just drew this box on my mm-hmm. uh, sheet of paper here because I hear this all the time. Oh, but my circumstances are different. Therefore, I'm going to mm-hmm. opt out of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. It made me think of this uh, this person that I knew a long time ago. And and I was, I was part of her wedding and she was planning her wedding and she was lamenting how expensive it was. And she talked to her mom about it. And her mom just said to her, she's like, oh, honey, like, this just means you're an adult. When you're an adult, you mm. always carry excessive debt. Like you just need to get used to that. And it was so interesting. She's like, okay, I guess this is like my rite of passage into adulthood. Not the marriage or like the life she always wanted, but like, ooh, I get to, I've now acquired lifelong debt mm. and financial struggle. And she, I could see her just like climb into the box of that circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful when our parents hand us the box of circumstance or our relationship to a circumstance. Was that handed to you 
You know what? I, I feel very fortunate in that space. So I think we're all handed some amount of circumstances. But one thing my parents did very well, and I hope I do this for my daughter, is they always told me that I could create or be whatever I wanted. They always did. They never stopped me. If I said, I want to be this, they would never say, you can't, that's not possible. They would always like let me play with that. What would that be like? What would that feel like? So I will say I was definitely handed a gift there because most adults were not. I realize that. Mm -hmm. And it still gets to be a decision. Do you, how bad do you want to work on reprogramming that and relearning it? Because your brain doesn't actually know what is reality and what's your vision and what you're thinking about. So when we can really push ourselves to focus on possibility versus circumstance, you can change it. Okay. So I know you have this process. And when I when I asked you in our forum beforehand, what do you teach on? You're like, I teach on fat. And I was like, <laughs> let's let's delve into that because there's so many layers of it here. But I feel like you're talking about it without us naming it. So let's name it. When you talk about fat, what are you talking about? So people think when I'm talking about fat, I'm talking about the fat on our bodies. And although I absolutely can help with that, that's not the fat I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what's called false assumed truths. And that is basically any belief that we're holding on to that's stopping us from getting the results that we want. For example, a false assumed truth would be, I had a hysterectomy, therefore I'm going to gain 30 pounds. Okay. The fact is you had a hysterectomy. Got it. The fact is not you're going to gain 30 pounds. That's a false assumed truth, which means somebody told you that and now you believe that that's what's going to happen to you. What a false assumed truth is, is meaning it doesn't mean it's a fact. It means somebody put that over you. They spoke it over you. You then found evidence to support it. And now that's what's going to happen to you because you're going to create that. The way you know something's a false assumed truth is if anyone else in the world had a hysterectomy and didn't gain those 30 pounds, then it's a false assumed truth <laughs> because it's possible not to. So my question to people, because people will really fight to the grave for their false assumed truths. Mm -hmm. Like they will fight for their circumstances. So I have to interrupt that. I get to interrupt that with people and ask them, is this what you want? Because here's the thing, me validating your belief set around that, me validating your false assumed truth, me saying you're right, that sucks. That will never help you get better. What do you do and how do you talk about it when someone really is in a shit circumstance? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, shit circumstances are real. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, no, they're real. Well, one is like, first acknowledge that I'm not, I'm not in some foo foo land where I'm like, well, that's not real. That's a, it is real. <laughs> it's absolutely real. I guess the short answer to a much more a longer process is, what do you want to do about it? Mm -hmm. Do you want to stay stay there, or do you want to find a different solution? That's the first question. Because if somebody can't say. I want to find a different solution, then they haven't decided yet. So deciding has to come first. Mm -hmm. So if someone's in a shit situation, the world is crumbling down. And I've been there many times, Megan, like many times. But this is what I want the world to know. When I'm in a shit situation, I don't want validation about my shit situation. I want somebody to say to me, you're right. That's awful right now. What are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. That's what I want. I don't want somebody to say, you're right. That sucks. You know, your life is over. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, doesn't serve anybody. So I, at the risk of people not liking me in my program sometimes, will take a stand for their future self. But I know what's on the other side. And when people will walk through that with me, they're always so happy because they are glad that somebody else saw the possibility in them. When you made that decision that you wanted something different for your life, that we weren't like, we weren't washed up and it was over, that this, I'm going to create whatever I want to create. What did those next steps look like? 
like the dirty part too. Yeah. And I'll tell you a couple stories around that. But, but, but taking you back to that one story back then is when I decided that I was going to change, I would look at that decision board every day. And I would say, if I was the girl living in that board, what would I do? What would I eat? How would I move? What would I do? So I'd ask myself that every day, Natalie, if you're the girl living in that board, when I felt like eating Doritos, I would say, if you were the girl living in that board, what would you do? Would you eat Doritos? No, you would not. What would you do? Well, you'd go for a walk, you'd drink more water, you'd have a big salad with some chicken. <laughs> like That's what you would do. So I just started doing as if I was the girl living in that board. I started acting and working from my vision versus from my circumstances. And I had to remind myself all day long every day to do this. Right. That was key what you just said there. Like acting from your vision, not your circumstances. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to like, I wanted that type of space. Yes. So when I did that, things started to change. At the time for me, I knew there's another key piece in my method I teach, which is accountability. I had to have some type of accountability to someone somewhere. And I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it. I had just moved from DC to California. I was getting a divorce. I didn't have a lot of people to talk to about this. So what I did is I went on Facebook and at the time I had like a hundred high school friends. There was not my big following that I have on Facebook now. It was just random like high school friends. But I posted on there that I was making a change and I was going to start posting what I'm eating there for my own accountability. So I was like one of those original, this is what I ate posters, you know, and I would put it on there. And as I did that and my body started to change, people started to follow along and it became part of a journey that others could follow. And my whole business, my initial fat loss business was built from that, from people watching what I was creating. But you asked about the struggles and all that. There were so many struggles. For example, when I started getting fit again and I started getting my body back, I put another vision and a goal that I was going to be a fitness model. Now, at the time I was in my 40s. Now, this is like I'm approaching 40 and then I'm in my 40s. I'm like, I'm going to be a fitness model. I, my friends literally laughed at me. They, they laughed at me. <laughs> like, like, you are not going to be a fitness model in your 40s. And let me just tell you, Megan, I was on 14, 14 covers in my 40s, fitness magazine covers. And the last one being at age 48. So I, yeah, I think anything's possible for people. I do. I think anything, but I had to believe it. So I had people bringing me down all the time, but I, I can't, and I still live this way today, Megan. I don't have anyone in my life that doesn't support my vision, period. End of story. And it's not a, it's not a broken, it's not a me decision. It's like an intuitive soul decision. It just is like, I don't, there's people that are not in my life anymore. If, if that's how they are, I don't need them in my space. I'm just super committed to what I want to create and supporting others about what they want to create. And there's just not room for that. Do you ever eat Doritos? No, I don't actually. Um, one, because I'm celiac and I know that now. So I probably, I don't, I don't even know what they are. Do I eat perfect though? Absolutely not. I don't eat perfect, but I do base what I teach and what I eat on an unprocessed natural real food diet. And I feel the best when I do that. So if I'm going to have a treat, it's going to likely be a healthier treat. like. You can get any type of cake, cookie, chip, whatever made from more natural ingredients. So that's probably what I would do. There's a different option. Yeah. I, listen, I'm not going to lie. Last night, I was like, I must find a bag of potato chips. Yeah. and uh, But that's fine. I would get them with in coconut oil or avocado oil. Right. Not seed oil. Right. There's always a way to like... Yeah. To shift that uh, piece. I guess I wanted to move like to that state of... I would find patients where we could not get them to step into the decision because there were certain things at that point in their evolution they were not willing to give up. 
Yes. So let me speak into that for a minute. So my process for fat loss is very similar to my process for business and goal achievement. Right. Decide vision action. So it's number one, making a decision. What do you want? Two, vision. If people skip this step, then willpower doesn't work. And I get people laser clear on like to the detail. What are they going to be wearing when they release the weight? What are they going to look like? How are they going to feel? Who's going to notice? How are they going to notice? What's their face going to look like? How is their body going to feel? Like I, I spend so much time in vision first because I want them acting from the vision. And then when we get into action, this is really critical. Most diet nutrition plans will talk about all the things you can't have. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I have a very clear outline of what I want people eating. But what I tell them to do is I don't want you to worry about what you can't have. What I want you to do is focus on how do I get all of this good stuff in? How do I get all the good in? Which makes less room for the not so good. So if I get all this good stuff in and I still want the Doritos, you can have them, but you're not going to want them. No, you, you load the other things. You load the other things first. Yes. A hundred percent. How did the action that you took in your life and, and acting on your vision board, how did that translate into business for you? Like you talked about being in corporate America and then now you're, now you're an entrepreneur. And was that a natural transition for you? Or was that just what had to happen to reach the vision? So... I was still in corporate, but I took a demotion at the time um, because I couldn't travel full-time with the newborn. And as I started sharing what I was doing and I was releasing weight, people started asking on Facebook, it started, these recipes look amazing. What are you doing? How are you doing this? So I, somebody gave me the idea. They said, why don't you make an ebook? I didn't even know what that meant. So I remember Googling ebook. And I took at the time I had a Blackberry phone. Remember those? Oh, I loved it. I took Blackberry. all my pictures that I've taken of my food. And I spent a weekend making a little like PDF of all my recipes. I went on Facebook and I said, I'm selling this recipe book for $10. I didn't know what an entrepreneur online business. I didn't have a sales page. I didn't know any of that. People would send me $10 on PayPal. I would be out running errands. I'd get a little email notification on my Blackberry. Ding. $10 from Susan. And the red light would and go I, off. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and I would write Susan back. Hi, Susan. I'm out running errands. But as soon as I get home, I'm going to send you my PDF. I would get home. I would send her my PDF. And what happened was people love the recipes. So then the next question from people, and I would make like, I would sell like three or four a day. So I would make like $30, $40, which was awesome as a new single, you know, a single mom that was trying to make ends meet. So, but then the next question was, how did you lose weight doing this? Like, how did you get your body like that doing this. So I sat down one weekend and I wrote out a detailed plan, which I called the seven day jumpstart, which is now by the way, a best selling book in stores. It's been revised like five times now. But I sat down and initially it was a 12 page PDF. That was it of exactly what I just shared with you. Decision, vision, how you do like I talked about how to make a vision board, how how to eat. I gave a seven day meal plan. And I shared that on Facebook for $35 without a sales page, without any of that. And what would happen is like you, Megan, would reach out to me and go, Oh, I want to try your seven day jumpstart. You would buy it. I would send it to you like a little PayPal link and I'd send it to you. And then you would send me a message in seven days through Facebook Messenger and it would say, Hey, oh my gosh, Natalie, your seven day jumpstart was amazing. I lost five pounds. My bloat is gone. My energy is through the roof. I love this. And I would say, Megan, that is awesome. Can I share this with others because it's going to be so motivating for them? And you would say, Yes, of course. And I would screenshot it and I would share it. And it started spreading like wildfire, Megan. Like people wanted my seven day jumpstart. I was still in corporate, but I was selling this. That product started taking off like crazy. Like I couldn't believe how much it was taking off. At the same time, I'm working on my own self. I'm become getting fitness recognition. 
I'm becoming um, a fitness person, like, like, which is funny to me, because that's never what I set out to be. And the next question from people was, can you know, how do you work out? So I started making fitness DVDs, it just literally went and this is what I tell everybody now, everybody's comparing to like these seven, eight figure businesses going, I'm trying to start I'm not them. I nobody starts that way. Nobody starts that way. I said, you have a problem that people need a solution to doesn't matter if it's unique. If you have a problem that people need a solution to meet them where they're at, share your story, share your journey, and share your solution, period. That's how it starts. That way I grew my business. By the way, that seven-day jumpstart product made $2 million in the first few years. I would have never imagined that. The thing is, but it didn't start from a business plan or this big grand entrepreneur. It started from me literally sharing something I was walking through, a solution I had, a simple... This is the other thing. People come up with like 20 million solutions for things. No, give people one simple solution. One simple, easy solution. That's it. Stay laser focused, get that out there. And that's how you build something. I had a similar start. And as you're talking about this, I'm like, this is the cutest thing ever. Because (laughs) that's like, everybody should just start with the cutest thing ever. I had my practice. We invoiced people automatically through QuickBooks. So I was like, I'm not buying a whole new system or learning a whole yeah. new system. I'm just going to invoice people through QuickBooks. It's not how we do it on in the online world. But when I started my group programs, I was like, this is, I know how to use this. So I'm going to, I'm going to use this. And the same thing. We just, like, it was the same, yeah. it was the same process. You're not going to start at step 25. No. no. And it's funny because I remember people used to message me and say like, let me build you a sales page. And I thought it was so cheesy. I was like, no, I don't, I didn't have a sales page. It looked like a little Amazon link. It was just like, I didn't, it, I wasn't into it. And it's funny because now, yes, I have all that. And what makes me sad sometimes is someone will look at my stuff and they think that's how they have to start. Mm-hmm. And, and I want them to know that that's not how you have to start. I didn't start that way at all. It wouldn't have made sense to start that way. But Natalie, you were one of the first 10 people on the internet. It's different <laughs> for me. People will say that, but there's always something that's like the internet. There's always something else. So Instagram wasn't a thing when I was there. TikTok certainly wasn't a thing. There's always another way. Podcasting wasn't. So yes, I might have been the first there, but look how many places we can go now. This is not... There are How many billions of people need help with what... There's so many people. Like I don't even... There's so many people in my main business is fat loss. And I think people are like, oh, it's so competitive. But how many people... Yeah. You think it's competitive? How many people need to lose weight still? The obesity epidemic is very real. We don't have enough people helping with it. No, that's not true. What hasn't worked for you? Like what's been really mm. hard, way harder than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And not as, not as easy as the vision. Forgetting what I'm sharing with you right now. Forgetting that and going into comparison mode and thinking I need these fancy consultants and these big high paid marketing companies. And I've wasted more time and money on people that thought they could do my business better than me. If that makes sense. I'm a full fan of delegating, but not my unique abilities. When if you're listening and you're in business, your unique abilities, your unique strength, like for me, it's talking to my customer. It's um, sales, it's marketing, it's, it's being the voice, it's creating content. That's my unique ability. I can't delegate that or get that stuff gets lost. Stuff that I, I don't do well, those are the things I delegate. So when you have a business, you cannot delegate things you do well. I hear so many people say, I hate social media. Like I am like, I I cringe it when they say that because social media is not a marketing platform. It's a people getting to know you platform. So you better not hate it. You better find a way to get your voice out there and heard. Mm -hmm. 
you don't have to do what all these people are telling you to do on social media. That doesn't matter. I'd, I'd rather somebody put one or two really on point pieces of content from their actual voice out there mm-hmm. than do, hire somebody to do like a million posts a day that aren't, isn't their voice. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on that piece. When you were growing your business and you were trying to find balance and you were, you know, you were a mom and doing all the things, I feel like there is a crunch time in the growth of your business where you're like, I can almost afford to delegate, but I can't mm, quite oh yeah, afford to delegate. Great and question. I'm so out of balance. Yes. What did that yes. look like and how did you get out of there? Yeah. Okay. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. So I, I my answer now is from a much higher place. <laughs> like I can look down. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember thinking I couldn't afford to delegate. And getting convinced to afford to a delegate. And then it got to the point where I delegated so much. I had probably 17 people working for me. And I was working 20 times as hard. So now I was working to pay people. And I basically filled my initial fear that it would cost too much money to delegate. Okay. That was the wrong way to delegate. (laughs) I had to really like crash and burn to figure that out. Like there was a point our business was making almost $3 million and I had no profit, zero, zilch. So I felt like I was back in corporate working to pay people. It was, I hated it. I had a crash and burn. I had to start over. What I know now is when you bring somebody on, one, you have to bring them on for the one thing, not your whole business. <laughs> like you pick one thing at a time and you pick something that's not your unique ability. Like I'm going to bring somebody on to be my executive assistant to do scheduling and manage numbers, whatever. You pick like one thing that you that's not your strength. The first job of someone you hire is to basically pay for themselves in the first few months. So what they're doing for you should basically pay for themselves. Now, where the breakdown happens is when you, one, don't hire somebody for things that you need to actually give away. Like you're hiring for unique ability because they'll never do it as good as you and you'll never be happy. That's number one. Number two, you have to train people really, really well. It's such a mistake. People bring people on and they don't train them. Like they just think they're supposed to be a mind reader and go. I did that many times to people. No, you have to really train them, test them, make sure. To give you an example, I just brought on a copywriter recently. Um, as we're recording this. And I used to think for years, first I handed out copywriting to all the wrong people and then lost my voice along the way. Then I had to take it all back and do it myself, which is not, my strength is writing, but my strength is not like the one doing the emails and doing all that. So this time when I hired a copywriter with what I know, I really took the time to train him. Meaning he interviewed me. We went through a series of things. He would write me big, long test emails. I would then edit and send it back to him as track changes. He would then go, we'd go back and forth. Old me 10 years ago would have said he sucks. Like I just would have been like, he sucks. He doesn't get it. Now I'm like, no, he gets it. He's listening. He's learning. He, and now it's to almost to the point where I can almost set him free and not even worry about what I'm me reviewing him. But it took some serious time to go back and forth with that. It's funny. It's like the number one question I get is how do I hire? How do I hire that next person? Because it's always at those ceilings of complexity while you're trying to expand what it is that you do. And I used to be a terrible hire. I'd hire people who needed help. Like, I can't tell you how many, like, single moms with zero skills I hired. And I was like, we're gonna figure this out together. Nope. And you got to hire people one thing at a time and test them and train them and nurture Mm -hmm. them. And it can't be this. I can't say this enough. You cannot hire out for your unique ability. You can't do it. If your strength is XYZ, 
that's where you got to focus your time. That's what builds your business. That's what moves it forward. You then hire people to support other things so you can do that. Like if you have to, if your first hire needs to be someone to do your house chores and your groceries so you can focus, then do that. If your next hire needs to be somebody to manage your email so you can focus, then do that. You got to start with those things. Yeah. And it's interesting because I had this deal with myself when I was, when I was burnt out the first time. And I said, I was in my, I've told the story before, but I was in my clinic and it was like 11 o'clock at night and I had this rule, I'm not going home until I'm done my charts. Um, But I had all this other stuff and I printed off a diet diary that I used for my patients and I recorded everything I did for a week, everything, like from packing my kids lunch to Mm -hmm. folding laundry to charting to blah, blah, blah. And if it was something I had to do, it was in yellow. And if it was something somebody else could do, it was in pink. And I realized there were like three things that I had to do. And the rest of the page was in pink. I had almost 28 hours of pink happening in a given week. And so then I just started to theme it out. And that's how I hired my first first person. And we've got a house manager at home who like manages the stuff in our in our house that has to get managed so we can all hang out in that uh, unique ability. But it's it's that clarity, right? We have to create a system for clarity. It's, it's clarity. And sometimes it is getting an interruption. Like I'm a huge fan of coaches and mentors for this reason. Like, like I have clients that come to me and when they come to me, sometimes I'll feel intimidated by them. Like, what am I going to help them with? But what I'm able to do is navigate through what their blind spots are. They're not seeing and help them figure out like, where are you needing to hire? Where are you needing some sales strategy? Like some hiring a mentor or a coach can make a huge difference for people because that they're, that person is not attached to your circumstances and they're not attached to your feelings about it all. So it's a lot easier for somebody else to come in with a bird's eye view and help you with that. So if that's somebody's listening saying, I, I just don't even see how I can make the change that you probably are ready for a mentor or coach to help you with that. How do you find your mentors or coaches? Mm. It's not typically somebody pitching me. I will say that. It's usually somebody that their messaging resonates with me. I'll hear them on an interview, I'll hear them on TV, whatever, I'll hear them somewhere and it'll resonate and I'm usually the one asking them to coach. So I don't I can't think of ever me having a coach that approached and pitched me. It's always because somebody I reached out to them. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was at an event a few weeks ago and there's this one person and I was like, oh, I know, I know that that is the person I'm supposed to learn and I was like, it's not normally like me, but I was like, how do I how do I like how do I work with you? Anyway, he was very gracious. Yeah. And that's actually what I teach some of my clients. Like you have to create that type of brand that people are asking you. So you're not constantly like, how do I, how do I go get myself out there? (laughs) Like you got to have that type of brand that people want to know what you're doing. Right. And they just ask you and you're, you're nice enough that they want to reach out and and ask. That's a huge, it's a huge part of it. Natalie, I feel like this is a perfect place to transition the interview to something I call my impact ingredients. And what I really want to understand in in rapid fire context is like who you are, some of the little details and facets that maybe don't come out typically in a podcast uh, interview. And then also for my audience to start to see some of the commonalities um, in my guests. And so, and I always preface this with the intention is that they're rapid fire, although they could be an interview in and of themselves. But my first question for you is what is the biggest non-negotiable for you in your life? Mm. My daughter time with her, things that she needs. She's my number one full priority. What's your most important failure? Oh my gosh, there's so many <laughs> of them. Oh, my most important failure was probably my first marriage. 
Um, I'm grateful that it happened. Had I, that not happened, I wouldn't have my daughter. I wouldn't have my business. I wouldn't have my current husband. All of it. How do you cultivate courage when you really need it? I create it. I don't cultivate it. I create it. It's something I call, you know, I love acronyms. We talked about my false assumed truth, but I have another one. It's called DCM, Driving Core Motivator. The Driving Core Motivator is the real core reason you want something. And when I'm in a funk and I'm stuck in circumstance and I'm in self beat up and I'm stuck or comparing, I have to go back to that question. What's my decision? What's my vision? And now what is my driving core motivator? What is the deep reason why I want that? And when I can hit that to its core, it changes everything. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you learn to have these skills? All learned. I was, I was not born with it. I was born to follow a structure, to go to school, go to college, get married, work in corporate. I did not even know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't know it was a possibility. I give full credit actually to my husband, my current husband. Because when I accidentally became an entrepreneur, sharing, he's the one that when my corporate gave me a, this choice, when they saw me on the cover of um, magazines and fitness equipment, and they said, um, <laughs> are, you, are you working for us? Or are you like doing some fitness thing? I had to make a decision. And I was scared I was going to give up what I do now to go back to corporate out of scarcity, out of being scared. Right. And my husband now, who was my boyfriend at the time, He's a serial entrepreneur. And he said to me, um, you got this. You can do this. I'll help you. And um, because he believed in me, I believed in myself. I love it. Last question for you, Natalie. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? It's not about me. I don't care if people remember me or know that I did it. Um, I want... I, I'm somebody of faith. I believe in God. I believe that we're all here for a reason and we all have a purpose. And my purpose for whatever reason God picked me for that is to walk through things and teach it and help others feel empowered. So as much as I've wanted to leave fat loss at times and, you know, just focus on what I do with sales training and private clients, which I love, it lights me up. I can't ever leave fat loss because it is truly part of my calling and my gift. And I've, my gosh, I've helped over 255,000 women. Like I, can't, I mean, I did in the numbers, it's like 3 million pounds. Like I can't walk away from that. So my legacy is that I teach enough of this that people remember the method and the skills and they teach others. Natalie Jill, you are such an inspiration. Your work is incredible. Where can we send people to follow along in the next evolution of your journey? Oh my gosh. Um, there's many places, but I would say nataliejill.com is my website. Um, and then Natalie Jill Fit on Instagram is where I'm most active. Uh, social media wise. So Natalie Jill Fit. And then I have a podcast also called Listen Up. Amazing. We will hook everyone up in our show notes. You can find those at meganwalker.com forward slash a podcast. Natalie, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.